Wednesday Breakfast acknowledges that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wandry and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders past and present and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We recognise sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Good morning, Ella. How are you today? Very well, thank you. So yeah, welcome to 3CR Breakfast. It's Wednesday, 23rd of March. I did just have to double check on my laptop as I announced that, but I can confirm. Um, And yeah, I'm Ella in the studio with Claudia. Nice to be here. Yes, just the two of us this morning. Jacob is off being a busy bee. Is it children's programs they're running today? So we're holding down the fort. Yeah, and he'll be back with us next week, but um, he'll also be around on Sunday for the Trans Audibility 3CR special. He's going to be hosting the Queering the Air segment, so oh, uh, I expect he's pretty busy preparing for that, so we might have a little little chat about what's going to be happening on Sunday later. Yeah, yeah, yep, sounds good. We'll have to tune in. It is, of course, Trans Day of Visibility on Sunday, and here at 3CR we've got Trans Day of Audibility, so... Should be some good programming throughout the day. And how was your journey in this morning, Ella? Uh, it's a bit cold, a bit dark. <laughs> I'm starting to feel the change in seasons, I think. Um, it does feel a bit autumnal, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, daylight savings now, I think. The, is it still called daylight savings when it's removed? I um, so. Don't ask me. <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. I don't think so because it's the reversal, yeah. True, yeah, we did have a um, daylight savings post-show chat last week and I think we were still left confused. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, quite enjoying the the morning coming in when it's dark. It's quite nice with all the gleaming lights. And Oh, you like it, Claudia? <laughs> yeah, well, I come up from the south and the last, I suppose, 10 minutes of the journey is St Kilda Road and then I approach the Arts Centre and they have these little illuminated penguins Ooh. along the nature strip and um, they move. And, yeah, it's just I really like seeing the penguins. Yeah, <laughs> all that's the definitely a And the Arts Centre <laughs> and people... Wandering around, I think there were some tourists I could see just walking slowly. So I'm assuming they were leisurely soaking up the atmosphere. And yeah, then the St Ali coffee truck, and yeah, different people heading off to work. Some construction people with their little eskies, and it's quite a nice feel. <laughs> yeah, it always feels almost like a parallel universe. I think before um. 6.30am for me. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And also, yeah, I think it's because it's dark, it does feel like you're still in the other part of the day. <laughs> yeah, you kind of got this unspoken camaraderie with everyone else. Mm. You have to be off at that hour, I think. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I guess there are people coming home from work as well. Yeah, well, no penguins on my route, but I got here all right. <laughs> <laughs> and how is the rest of your week, Claudia? Rest of the week's been uh, pretty busy, actually. Yeah, got quite a bit of work on and um, yeah some social stuff for another um, not-for-profit I'm involved in. We had a picnic in 
the Carlton Gardens on Sunday, a gathering that was lovely and yeah, nice nice weather. So yeah, that was that was lovely. Nice to be out and enjoying Melbourne's parks. Yeah. How about you? Was your weekend exciting? Uh, it was busy. It wasn't the most exciting. I worked a fair bit. Um, I did go out to see a movie on Saturday night. I had a bit of a date night, dinner and a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, what movie did you see? Uh, I saw Drive My Car. Ah. Um, but I have to confess it wasn't the best choice for me at that time because um, I'd woken up at about 5.30 to start work and I'd been um, oh. at a friend's place the night before. So I was running on very little sleep. Oh, that's a um, shame. I've seen that one and um, it's a fantastic beautiful movie but it is yeah. very long yeah very beautiful but uh three hours <laughs> yeah um and we had dinner prior to the movie so it was a couple of wines in and mm. um a little lacking in sleep so as soon as I sat down I thought oh no am I ready for three hours um yes but um yeah it was really beautifully shot so and I think it's nominated for several academy awards as well um, yeah yeah yep. Yeah, that'll be, I think, coming up next week, though. Yeah, I believe so. Um, Delayed this year. Yeah. And what have we got on for the show this morning? Yeah, we've got a nice full show this morning, a good mix of content. Um, So, yeah, first up is going to be me. I'm going to speak with Troy Innocent, who has created a new and immersive art and culture experience called 64 Ways of Being. Um, So that launches in Footscray tonight, and it's all about uh, connecting people with their environment, um, including the urban environment, um, and looking at the crossover between art and technology, which sounds interesting Mm, and quite unlike anything else. So I'm keen to see what Troy has to say. Um, And a little later on, I'm going to be speaking with Joel from the band Spores. So they're playing at a fundraiser gig tonight which is for Poland-Belarus-Ukraine border resistance. Um, So they're raising money um, to go to people uh, along this eastern border of um, Poland, um, which is, yeah, as we know, in major crisis. So it's a very good cause. Sounds like a fun event. And Joel's going to tell us all about it. Well, that'll be really good to to hear. It's wonderful the way um, communities a long way away get behind. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, solidarity in all sorts of places. Mm. Well, I'll be speaking with two First Nations women this morning at 10 to 8. I'll be speaking with Pat Anderson, AO, and she's the co-chair of the Referendum Council for the Uluru Statement from the Heart, which, as listeners will know, was a historic joining of First Nations people from around Australia uh, to forge a pathway for constitutional change and enshrine them in the constitution. So um, that's a major thing that happened, but it's actually five years. So there hasn't oh, been wow. any yeah, solid action taken by the government. And so the Uluru Statement of, from the Heart are calling for citizens now to back the demands. And yeah, we'll be hearing from Pat about what that means and what people can do to get involved. And then after that, I'll be talking to another First Nations woman, but she is an Indigenous woman from another country, and that is East Turkestan. Now, East Turkestan is in Central Asia, and it's now often known as Xinjiang, which is a Chinese name for the region Um, and we'll be talking with Ramila Chanishev. She's the president of the Uyghur 
Women's Association in Australia and she'll be telling us about um, the conditions that the Uyghur community face um, abroad in their region as well as um, how they're faring here in Australia and how they're sort of grouping together to support each other and also do advocacy work. Excellent. Sounds like a really interesting spread of interviews. All right. um, Before we get to the hard stuff, let's start with a song. Uh, This is Love Is Everywhere from Farrow Sanders. Love is everywhere. 
They're pulling on the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. Earth Greetings have been making sustainable beautiful since 2003. Their 100% recycled cards, plastic-free stationery and earth-friendly gifts are made in Australia with the lightest possible planetary footprint. Shop online at earthgreetings.com.au or at one of over 500 stockists Australia-wide. Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter. a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home we'll drop them in at 3CR and put them in the Books and Boots bin Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au we love a good book You're listening to 3CR Breakfast. I'm Ella. And now we're going to hear about a new immersive art and culture experience in the form of an urban adventure app. It seeks to reconnect people to their environment and change how we understand our place in the world through art, music and multicultural and Indigenous storytelling. It's called 64 Ways of Being and we're joined now by the creator Troy Innocent to tell us more. Good morning and welcome to 3CR, Troy. Good morning, Ella. Thanks for joining us yeah. today. No worries, glad to be here. Now, uh, 64 Ways of Being sounds really exciting and pretty unlike anything I've seen or experienced. Um, how did it come about? Yeah, so way back in uh, 20, 2018, 2019, um, I was researching this concept of playable cities, which was really largely about, you know, transforming infrastructure into playable experiences. And I wanted to create something that was more intimate and personal, something that would um, activate the existing material of the city and um, put together a a team which comprised a game developer and live arts collectives um, one step at a time like this. And um, we put up a proposal for the Creative State Commission, which was one of the uh, programs of the first um, uh, Creative State um, Initiative, uh, and uh, which asked for, it was really kind of, um, uh, that commission was really a kind of one of its kind. It asked for really large-scale projects that had some form of legacy and impact on public space. And so this was our response, was to to um, you know, kind of bring together our three uh, forms of practice, public art, game design and, and live art and um, create a new experience that anyone could play. So it wasn't 
connected to a festival, it wasn't connected to you know a ticketed experience, it wasn't connected to a gallery, it was something you could do for free in public space. Amazing. And um, can you tell us a bit more about how it actually works? What can users expect? Yeah, sure. So I guess the, the best way to come to it is to really think about um, what state of mind or what kind of expectations you might have if you go to a, a, a live theatre, you know, a theatre show, um, that is, you know, it's something that's going to hold your attention for, for a couple of hours. Um, um, but then also this kind of expectation you'd have um, playing a game, um, which also is, you know, an immersive experience. Um, but if you put those two things together uh, and imagine yourself as the, the avatar, you know, the character in mm -hmm. the game, um, and the city as the game world, uh, uh, that's really what, what's happening. But at the same time, you have to give it your full attention. You have to put, put headphones on, put your phone on Do Not Disturb, uh, and, and play through this experience because it is a show. So um, being ready for the experience is, is um, uh, the, you know, kind of critical to, to engaging. Actually starting, you just download an app and put some headphones on. So that's, that's the easy part. That's the, the, the uh, most important, as I said, and critical part is, is framing the experience for itself. So it's like, you know, like you're going to be kind of. Uh, and this Sorry, Trail, just get you to speak up a tiny bit there. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's like going to the theatre, and this is what kind of makes it interesting: is that while you're you're locked off in this um, uh, immersive world, you're also engaged with, with the world around you at the same time, and those two things mix together in a kind of mixed reality. And yeah. so, yeah, you, you need to focus. So yeah, you're going to give it your full attention. Yeah. And um, do you make decisions as you go along as the user or are you kind of led on a journey and you have to follow where it takes you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So what there are, there, um, uh, the, the, the world is, is, is a big place. <laughs> so <laughs> what we've really, uh, as I said, kind of in that world. So there is, So I'll explain how, how that works because that you do kind of shift between being led through uh, streets and ways and then to particular places where uh, you engage with augmented reality. And in those situations, you know, how you play those experiences is really up to you. is in um, This happens in a couple of different locations. I'll talk about the Footscray location. Yeah, please. Yeah, because we're, we're, we're uh, about to launch that. And uh, you, know, you arrive on, on a hilltop, uh, 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 looking across the Maribyrnong River, and um, songs... Um, uh, this flower, the pink flower that used to be across the river, uh, surrounding... A blue lake, and so you've you've heard this immersive audio story about the blue lake, and then you're engaging with these dancing flowers, and so how you you play that is really up to you. I mean, you can kind of just be a passive observer, or you can kind of walk amongst them. There's all different ways that you can engage with that experience. So um, there's uh, 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 different points 
of those uh, different points of intense engagement with the augmented reality where you're making choices. And we, we hope, or what our, our goal is, is that uh, those experiences shape your connection to place. So it's not a not kind of game model where it's kind of black and white. You're kind of making um, uh, binary choices between, you know, do I collect that object? Do I do that? It's much more personal and intimate. Amazing. And um, can you talk a little more about um, uh, reconnecting people to the environment around them? Yeah, sure. I mean, th- this is one of the goals and this is the um, the area that I, um, I work in, um, in in my art practice is this uh, concept of urban play. You know, it's how we engage with our public spaces, with our cities, with our, um, the world around us. And... Um, uh, the and um, you know we're actually disconnected from from the world around us. We're, we're just kind of on a bit of a mission, moving through space and mobile phone. Um, are one of the main distractions used. So it's you know when when we're creating this project, we're really trying to transform the mobile phone into something that can reconnect you with place, um, which is of, not often what it does, and so. There's a couple of ways that we, we do that. One is to involve the player, as I said, in this kind of intimate way with their environment, to ask them to slow down, to observe, to, to be aware of um, uh, where they are in the world and their ways of being in the world. Uh, and the ways that we do that is to share multiple perspectives. So throughout the um, experience, there are, are, are words from many different languages that speak to different ways of being. And these are some of what we call kind of untranslatable words. They're not really untranslatable. It's just we have to tell a bit of a story to get their meaning across. And um, and so these these words uh, uh, speak to different ways. They're also connected to stories and um, uh, 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 kind of layers of place that perhaps you're not usually aware of. And one of those layers that we... Uh, introduce a lot because of everywhere uh, is Indigenous knowledge. So worked with um, Naui Carolyn Briggs and um, uh, Auntie Julianne Axford and um, Auntie Gail Smith to bring those layers, well, I wouldn't say back into the world because they're already there, but to make them tangible. So, example, in, in, um, in uh, the Melbourne CBD journey, there's the the uh, story of the eels, uh, but also an, a notation, a kind of explanation of how the eels still travel along Elizabeth Street underneath uh, the road. So you're kind of walking through trams and people, and there's also water flowing underneath uh, that that place. And in Footscray, uh, it's a journey along the Maribyrnong River, where you're hearing from Nawi Carolyn Briggs and Uncle Larry Walsh about the. Uh, the layers of, of history and, and also kind of you know, where the Maribyrnong comes from and, and how it used to um, connect to, uh, to our other rivers, such as the Birrarung. Uh, and um, throughout Footscray, there, there are, uh, it actually starts with um, in Nicholson Street, and you walk through this arcade, uh, which is full of um, uh, uh, shops and... and um, uh, kind of smell and, and colours and textures all come from different parts of, of Africa and so that's annotated in English and Swahili so you're kind of getting this 
uh, contextual situation of place of, of what's happening right now. And, and they're just a few examples. Um, the, the experience, the languages, the mood in and out of the experience. Yeah, yeah, I really liked how it sounded like there was a real focus on the urban environment as well, um, as much as I love driving out and seeing a beautiful part of the natural environment. Uh, it's really uh, nice to have this connection with the place that's all around you and where you live. Um, and I noticed you said when you were developing it, uh, it was around 2018 or 19, I think you said, so um, pre-pandemic, um, yes. where, which sounds kind of timely now, given we were all confined to our immediate environment for quite a while there. Um, did this project change over the course of the pandemic at all, or even if it was just how you saw it or connected to the project? Oh, no, it, it, it changed a lot. I mean, yeah. both from a... I won't talk talk about the boring kind of logistical ways that it changed, you know, because um, no, we started by making the experience in the Melbourne CBD and then we couldn't go there for a sort of time. And so um, a lot of it was about memories of place. But, you know, being being artists and creative people that work for us in that... Uh, um, of course. Oh, still there, Trey? You're breaking up just a little bit. Uh, yeah, um, so when we came back to the city, it changed quite a bit. But the biggest um, impact was really um, just how people changed. Um, so uh, clearly there are negatives in relation to the impact of the pandemic, but uh, there are positives well, that I'm hopeful for in, in the future. I'm just hoping that they not forgotten and, and a few of those are the ways that as you just said um Ella, the way that people were reconnecting with their local neighborhood and also with their neighbors so i had this um really interesting moment i think it was in between the first and second lockdown in melbourne where i realized that i didn't feel that there was such a hard line between the, my you know kind of front doorstep and, and the uh, street and they uh, my uh, was extended, was much more fluid, and and um, the other thing that happened, of course, is that cities themselves be, became much more fluid and mutable. You know, there is uh, all of the, there are all these changes that had to be made for, for public health reasons, but um, at the same time, I um, uh, I'm testing now. I'm kind of calling it a bit of a matrix moment where. Um, people kind of saw through the um, illusion of what the city is and what their what the world is, like that it is all just constructed, and that the world that is there is the world that that we collectively create. And um, and you know whether that means um, uh, you know more more bike lanes and more access for pedestrians, um, or you know uh, those kinds of very practical day to day things, or whether it's um, or also kind of just uh, feeling like, well, I have a bit more ownership or, or it's not even ownership, it's more just permission to be in the world. I don't have to, um, you know, kind of close myself off. I can, uh, you know, um, the world in, in, a, in a bit more present and, and, and connected way. Uh, and so that, that goes forward. And so um, what, what that meant for our project is that there is a renewed interest in public space and the value of public space um, in terms of its impact on mental and physical health. And we hope that uh, experiences like 64 Way of Being would um, 
uh, I guess, help people to, to oh, I wouldn't say help people, probably the wrong word, but just offer a way to, to continue that, that you know, of, of connection and being in the world um, that um, hopefully some people found during the pandemic, or if they didn't, and perhaps ways they could do that. Yeah, yep, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, um, yeah, as you were kind of saying there, I think we saw a lot of our boundaries or the ways we frame the world um, forced to change during the pandemic. All these changes we might not have thought possible um, were suddenly made possible. So hopefully that um, gets people in a really good headspace for experiencing this project. Um, yeah, I hope so, yeah. Where does the um, 64 come from? What are the, What's the significance of 64? Yeah, sure. So um, 64, it's... Uh, it's a prompt. It's a provocation. So, to to because there are there are, there are definitely more than sixty four ways of being in the world, uh, but we'd like that you know to be more than more than just three. You know, like work, rest, play, um, or even some people it's just work and rest. Works, work. So, it's really kind of asking, getting people to ask that question. Um, oh, okay. What would be the sixty four ways of being? Um, and. Uh, the, and it's also a, a, a kind of a mapping strategy. So we've got nine in the Melbourne CBD. There's seven in Footscray. Uh, as you know, more coming in Collingwood and St Kilda, and um, and then there's you know capacity for, for more after that. So it's it's kind of a, a way to, to index and and, and a different way to, to map the world through this um, uh, idea of emotional cartography, um, mostly also. Uh, the um, the just the idea of well you know why 64 where where where, where does this 64 come from and there is a there's a kind of a, I guess a bit of a anti philosophical link um, uh, Spinoza's ethics um, he, this is a, a kind of radical philosopher from from centuries ago um, did create a, a, um, a kind of system of of generating ways of being, and so it's also a not Excellent. All right, we're going to have to wrap up there, Troy, but just very quickly, um, can you give us the plug for the event tonight? So, um, this afternoon, the um, uh, mayor of um, Anthony Tran, Councillor Anthony Tran, will be launching the project at 2pm in Madden Square, uh, Footscray. Uh, and uh, and it's also free to download um, as of now, so you can head out to Footscray anytime uh, today or over the weekend uh, to yeah, play 64 Ways of Being. Excellent. So, yeah, all around you and free of charge. Thanks exactly. so much, Troy. I'm really excited to have a look myself. Thanks, Ella. Have a nice day. You too. Bye. That was Troy Innocent, creator of the project 64 Ways of Being, which launches today in Footscray. Um, now we're going to go to a track from Dorothy Ashby. Um, when we come back, we're going to hear about a fundraiser gig coming up tonight for Border Resistance. In the meantime, this is Soul Vibrations.
Yarra City Arts and Umbrella Entertainment present Neighbourhood Watch, a pop-up outdoor cinema showcasing Australian films Friday nights throughout March. Head down to Linear Park, North Fitzroy, and catch free live music and films including The Big Steel, Storm Boy and The Babadook. BYO Picnic Blanket, Snack or grab dinner along Nicholson Street for Neighbourhood Watch. To find out more, visit yarracity.vic.gov.au forward slash rediscover. Yarra City Arts is a 3CR supporter. Words out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle. News, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. You're listening to 3CR, and before the break we had Dorothy Ashby with Soul Vibrations. Now we're going to talk about a fundraiser event on tonight at Cafe Gummo in Thornbury. It's for the Poland-Belarus-Ukraine border resistance. Um, and we're joined now by Joel, a member of the band Spores, who's playing tonight and also co-organised the fundraiser. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Are you there, Joel? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can now. Thanks for joining us this morning. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, now, tonight's event looks like a lot of fun and it's also for a good cause. Uh, so let's start there. Um, can you tell us about how this event came about? Yeah, so a close friend of mine um, who lives in Australia for a long time is from Poland and went back there a couple of years ago. Um, and soon afterwards, everything kicked off at the um, Poland-Belarusian border. Um, and she just happened to... That, that was the area that she just happened to be from um, and started organising there to support people um, trying to cross that border who were sort of being ping-ponged back and forth by the Belarusian government and the Polish government um, in really, really dire and awful situation being experiencing the violence of both states but also the violence of, of the border. Absolutely. And um, can you give us a bit of an idea of what life is like at the border for people um, in this situation at the moment? I think um, we're hearing a lot about the crisis, but um, it's almost so huge and there's so many um, political discussions. I think sometimes people feel a bit removed from uh, an actual picture of what it's like. Sure. I mean, it's hard for me to give a first-hand account, obviously, because I haven't been there. Um, but of course, hearing yeah. from, from organisers there... Um, anarchist comrades and other autonomous groups. Um, I guess it's sort of slightly two separate things. The the crisis at the um, to the eastern border of of Poland um, borders with Belarus and to the south of that to the the Ukraine. Um, so the this the, the crisis at the border with Belarus kicked off um, I think in August last year, uh, if I'm right. Um, and I guess that looked like uh, a border zone 
um, on the Belarusian side, it's about 800 metres of, of nothing. Um, the Belarusian government and soldiers were actually helping people cross that zone, um, including cutting the fences and helping them through to Poland to try and sort of stoke up a confrontation with Poland um, because the far-right Polish government had supported um, the protest against the dictator Lukashenko um, last year. So kind of a really strange situation where people were being pushed into this 800-metre zone um, into the Polish side and then being met with the Polish equivalent of border force or, you know, migration police who were then finding people and pushing people back over. Um, what this meant was that people often couldn't leave this this 800-metre sort of zone of the border um, they weren't being allowed to leave on either side, even if they wanted to. And this zone is, you know, sometimes it's swamps, sometimes it's rivers, sometimes it's um, it's forests. Uh, so I guess what that looked like was um, not only people being stuck um, in between these sort of two two states, um, sort of sort of flexing their power, but also in really intense circumstances. Um, I mean, it's just been winter there. Also, the the Polish um, forces were breaking people's phones, um, breaking people's power banks, doing everything they could to make people's life as awful as possible. Also, obviously, people experiencing a lot of violence, direct violence from um, sort of both sides. Um, so, yeah, heard accounts of, of people being found in the forest on the Polish side, freezing, um, not having, like, been, been months of being ping-ponged back and forth, with, covered in ice. Um, there's also been several deaths um, within that zone and, and bodies found um, by comrades over there. So it's a pretty dire situation. Um, so then, I know this is sort of a long story, but beyond that, since... Um, since Russia invaded the Ukraine, obviously there's been um, this further crisis uh, at the Polish-Ukrainian border. Um, the on the Ukraine side, a, a lot of um, people who can fight have, are being turned back by Ukrainian forces to to be, I guess, conscripted into into the war. Um, but Otherwise, Poland has been letting in Ukrainian nationals, um, white Ukrainian nationals. But given the, the I guess, the far-right um, political stance of the Polish government, it's meaning that people of colour, non-Ukrainian nationals, um, queers, uh, people with disabilities are being turned back at that border. Um, and so, uh, yeah, these... These groups these, of people supporting people at the border in Poland have extended their support down to the Ukrainian border um, and are sort of doing as much work as they can there to help people cross into the EU um, who aren't considered you know, acceptable by the Polish government. Yeah, it's really horrific. And um, yeah, as you said, um, it's a lot of people who are even yeah, more at risk and more vulnerable um, from marginalised communities. And um, they're the kind of people that the funds raised from the event tonight are going to be supporting, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, so the funds will be going to um, anarchist and autonomous groups in Poland um, who, are, who are specifically doing this work. It's important to mention that there has been a bunch of NGOs and are NGOs also trying to support people. However, 
as always, the scope of what NGOs are able to do is really limited because they abide um, by laws. Um, at the Polish-Belarusian border, there's uh, an exclusion zone where, unless you live in that zone, no one can legally enter. It's an attempt to stop um, things like NGOs and the media from getting in. So that's something that groups that aren't linked to NGOs are able to do, um, to find ways into that zone um, and materially help people with phones, with lifts out of that area with um, food, water, legal legal support um, and ways of getting getting news out of there. Um, and the same goes for the situation in the Ukraine. So that um, at the Ukrainian border, it's the, the focus is definitely on groups of people who aren't just allowed in by Poland. Um, so, yes, yeah, specifically more marginalised groups and groups that uh, experience... Uh, persecution and repression from the Polish government. Yep, excellent. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, there's a lot of limitations on how a lot of these NGOs and other organisations can operate. So um, yeah, yeah. I should also mention that um, some of the funds may also be directed to a group called Spiller, which is an anti-repression group based in Poland, um, who who work to. Um, how do I explain what they do? I actually don't know all that much about the group. It's probably best to, if I just read off the off the thing, but it's a feminist anti-repression collective that organises help for people who face violence and harassment from authorities and cops because of their activism, activism in Poland. Um, so some money may be funneled towards them because they'll be doing amazing work um, to support people once they're inside of Poland. Yeah, sounds like really important work. All right, and um, as we wrap up, can you tell us about the event tonight? What can we expect? Sure. Um, so things, the doors are at 7 o'clock. Things kick off at 7. Um, there's a full vegan dinner um, that you can come and enjoy, and so all funds from that obviously go to, to the fundraiser as well. Um, from 8 o'clock, there'll be bands. First up is Charlotte Lelive, Um uh, she's a solo alt country singer and songwriter who's really awesome. Um, then we have Spores, which is um, our band, and then finally Encierro. Um, also, there's an amazing raffle. Um, we've got we've had people put in really awesome prizes. So we've got like t-shirts, patches, stickers. There's a bunch of books. There's chocolate. There's like um, embroidered cat patches and <laughs> books on medicinal herbs. Gummo has <clears throat> Gummo's donated um, some beer and also part of their wall that fell off a couple of months ago. Um, so oh, heaps yeah, of goodies. The raffle always yeah, gets people. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of goodies there. So um, the raffle will be called um, at ten. So. People come early for dinner and stick around for all the bands and you might go home with a bunch of rad things. Amazing. All right, sounds like such a good event. Thanks for joining us to tell us more, Joel. No problem. Thanks for having me. Best of luck. That was Joel from the band Spores talking to us about the fundraiser event on tonight that he's a part of. Uh, so it's for Polish, or sorry, Poland-Belarus-Ukraine border resistance. So they're helping people in that border exclusion zone that are really at the coalface of this crisis.
Um, so it sounds like a lot of fun. It starts at 7 p.m. It's at Cafe Gummo. Um, so come along. I'm now going to play a track from one of the artists playing tonight. Uh, this is Charlotte Liev. My earner's lost to the western wind To a drift to them loving Burned by the fires of lovers that are me Until you brought him back to me again Oh You're listening to 3CR and we just, oh, my apologies there. <laughs> You're listening to 3CR and we just heard Charlotte Liev, who will be playing at the fundraiser event on tonight at Cafe Gummo. Almost five years ago, an historic event occurred in Australia. 250 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander delegates representing the First Peoples of Australia joined together to forge a pathway for enduring change to make a future that ensured their people would have power over the way they are treated and governed. 
That joining of purpose was the Uluru Statement from the Heart, a unified call for a First Nations voice to be enshrined in the Constitution of Australia. But five years on, there has been no tangible action or commitment by Australian political leaders to take this step. The Uluru Statement from the Heart is now calling on the people of Australia to exercise citizen power to secure a referendum and establish a First Nations voice in our Constitution. Here to tell us more is the co-chair of the Referendum Council and leader of the Dialogues for Constitutional Change, Aliyarawun, and Officer of the Order of Australia, Pat Anderson. Welcome, Pat. Good morning, Claudia. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. The Uluru Statement of the Heart is the most comprehensive action taken by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to secure the protection of their rights. Can you sum up the magnitude of what it purports to do and why it is necessary? Well, of course, there's a very long history of activism here that... Um, First Nations peoples that generation after generation after generation have tried to uh, all kinds of actions to get the government of the day to um, acknowledge us, respect us, accept that this is our place and that we have always held a position outside of any laws and are made about, made about us and the organisations that we have set up ourselves over many years um, have been, you know, in a, in a by the whim or the, of the government of the day and the minister has just signed them away. So the one last um, attempt is to go, um, as people, the older people told us at the regional dialogues, um, that we need the only way that we can win here is to use their, that's your, Claudia, big law, meaning the constitution. Those 13 regional dialogues that we held around the country, all the same agenda, um, uh, we we uh, selected a, uh, a host organisation who actually hosted the organisation. They supplied um, the invite list for us to talk to, for people to come to the to the meeting. And from that process, which was like I say, thirteen of them, each of those regional dialogues selected their delegate to go to the Uluru Convention. And out of that whole process came the Uluru Statement from the Heart. But this is. Um, after a long line of activism going back generations, as I say. Now, the Uluru Statement, the people were very... It's the universal decision to gift the Uluru Statement to the Australian people. It was never given to the Prime Minister or the Governor or, you know, to um, Malcolm Turnbull or the Government of the day. He was the Prime Minister then who, was, uh, who uh, as you will recall... Uh, within 24 hours, denounced the statement and called it um, a third chamber of parliament. That did a lot of damage uh, at the time. But this was a very conscious and very mindful and very considered decision because, you know, which is very, um, very, uh, I find it very heartwarming that uh, everybody at the dialogue, or there was a, there was a strong sense that there was a, a, in the fundamental decency of Australian people and some of the older people would say, you know, we asked them in 1967 to help us, and now we're going to go and ask them again. And that's and and so this has to be a people's movement. The um, the current government, the Mr Morrison's government, hasn't moved, as you said in your introduction. But we had decided before we left Uluru, it was gifted to the Australian people, not to the Prime Minister. 
this is a people's movement and we're calling again to ask the Australian population uh, to help us. And it's, as you said, the fifth anniversary uh, of the Uluru Statement. And, of course, they're going now into a federal election. Um, the um, SCOMA government hasn't supported it. However, uh, the Labor Party have said, and Mr Albanese and most of his speeches more recently, but has told us or told the public that um, if Labor wins, they will go to a, um, a ref, you know, they will support the um, Uluru Statement from the Heart in its entirety, which and which means if we, if we have to have an issue, we, we want a protected voice in the Constitution, which means, of course, you have to take the country to referendum. And coming back to the people power, how are you going to appeal to the people in this latest call for action? Well, we haven't stopped. We've been doing it since the minute we left uh, We left Uluru. We set up the ulurustatement.org, um, which is our website. And for listeners, there's plenty of information there, education information. Um, there's also the Uluru Statement from the Heart. It's in 61 different languages other than English. And at this moment, as we're building on it all, all the time, 21 First Nations languages. There's lots of education stuff there. There's some great webinars. There's a fantastic speech, Marbo Oration, which was given by Professor Megan Davis last year at the Native Title Conference. A lot of information there. Um, so I really encourage people to look on the website. But we've been, we've been lobbying and talking to people all around the country for the last, uh, well, which is the fifth year now. So... Uh, there's been a lot of work done by a lot of people and momentum and support uh, for the statement is coming from across the country from all kinds of um, quarters, um, individuals, groups, governments, uh, local councils, the corporate sector, um, a whole range of sporting bodies, um, uh, 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 the um, religious groups, faith-based groups. There's quite a lot of support from there as well and growing. Um, you know, might have, a little while ago, I think the uh, the Archbishop of um, in the not Archbishop, no, the the, uh, the Catholic Church, I think, in Queensland supported us. We've had uh, letters of support from the Carmelite nuns, um, from the uh, Muslim community. So there's a, there's been a lot of work done, in fact, uh, Gloria, over this over the last um, five years. And there's also been debates held about the um, different approaches to to secure a meaningful uh, protection and, and rights process for First Nations people in Australia. So we've had debates on whether a legislative approach um, is better and versus having a constitutional voice. And there's also um, different language around truth-telling, so... The statement from the heart talks about a Makarata, and then in Victoria we've got. the Uruk Truth-Telling Commission. Is there still a group of people who are confused about what the statement <laughs> from the heart is and how are you going to reach those people? This has been like a, almost a 12-year process. Um, 
part part of it didn't just happen at um, at Uluru. This is a, you know through a, a whole process. I think there were like in eight years or nine years there were like seven different reports that the government of the day commissioned. Now the latest report from the government um, came out I think uh, just before Christmas, just before Christmas, um, and that is something. This is the Uluru statement very clearly calls based on our experience of what's happened to us calls for an enshrined voice in the Constitution to speak directly to Parliament. Now, what the government has come up now, the government latest report, and I'm excuse me, but I can't remember the full title of the report, but it was handed down, presented to the government by the uh, by Minister Wise, Minister for Aboriginal Affairs. Now, what that report is asking for is an enshrined, uh, not an enshrined voice, a legislated voice. This is going to be confusing for the general public. Exactly. Legislated, you know, voice to the voice to the government. Well, that's what we've been doing since you guys have been here. That's the point. Uh, so we have nowhere else to go except to call for a protected voice in the constitution. So it can't be at the whim of government of the day, and that we will have some power. We'll be at the table discussing with the government of the day laws that affect us and our families and our future. That has never happened before. If there's a legislative voice, they can do, they, the government of the day, irrespective of political persuasion, can just sign it away um, in, an in an afternoon. Uh, so we need the voice to be enshrined in the Constitution so that can't happen. And when there are uh, elections and there is a new government, we will just sit and wait until a new government comes on board and we say, all right, this is where we got to last time and this is what we need to do now so we keep moving forward. Not going back every election back to ground zero as if nothing has happened before that. Stop all that nonsense so we can really get some traction here so we can really move, really move forward. So what the government's report that's on the table is really asking for more of the same. We can't keep doing this, you know, like running on the spot. We have to make some advances here. This is a real opportunity for the Australian public to think about what sort of a what sort of a country are, what are our values are, what do we stand for. Let's reimagine what we could and should be, and we can do this. We're, we're better than what the, the status quo is. They have, you know, so that's what I would. I know there is going to be some confusion, but people, uh, listeners, please make sure they understand that the difference between a legislated voice and a enshrined voice in the Constitution. One is protected for all time. You, of course, it can be changed, but you've got, to, you've got to go back to the people again. You've got to have another referendum to change it. Whereas if you have a legislated voice, it doesn't have any, um, doesn't have any authority. You know, we've been sitting up, setting up committees for decades, generations, and talking to government. I've been part of that, you know. Um, and uh, so this, what the Uluru Statement is, it is, it is a... Uh, an opportunity, change the narrative of the country and reimagine a new future that, in which we can all uh, proceed, not just half or a small, uh, you know, the larger portion of the population. And I would urge... Um, itself and got it, yes. I would urge listeners to who haven't explored the Uluru Statement uh, website to, to check out the Education tab because it's got a great Q&A section and any questions you do have are answered there. And it's also, the website is very um, clear, simple, 
and instructive. So it's very easy to navigate. You can't get lost in um, unnecessary uh, detail. Uh, so yeah, that's a really great place to start if listeners have any questions. I just wanted to, you talked about um, the Australian people, what sort of place do we want to live in? What are our values? We, we saw with the same-sex marriage referendum that the Australian yeah. people rose up and said we want equality uh, yeah. for all people irrespective of their uh, yeah. sexual orientation. Yep. The Republican referendum failed many years ago. There was a lot of um, confusion that came about the way the question was was framed in that, that sort of set it up almost for failure. How will you seek to frame the question for the Australian people should a referendum uh, about enshrining a First Nations voice be called? Mm. Mm. Well... Of course, the government of the day does that. However, one of the things, well, one of the important jobs that uh, Megan Davis, who's um, a constitutional lawyer and has led this whole process, has, has supplied um, the um, intellectual power and a small team. Um, you know, they uh, they have drafted um, a bill. They have uh, come up. They have uh, thought about the questions uh, to go to to go to referendum, and they have a bill ready. Uh, to present to whoever whoever wins um, the election. So, so we're trying to sort of stop the government of the day, whoever gets elected, say, well, it's going to take us, you know, two years <laughs> to uh, draft a bill. We say, well, you know, here's something to be going on with. Uh, have a look, get your attorney general to have a look at this. So, there's been a whole lot of work done behind the scenes. And yes, the re- the Republican debate was, um, I think, by design made confusing. But for listeners out there. This also is confusing for people because, unfortunately, you don't know too much about us, but we know a lot about you. So, you really, to you know, to to mindfully participate in this conversation and to cast an informed vote, you really do. I would encourage you, as Claudia's just done, to have a look at the site, uh, call us, our, our phone numbers there, email addresses, and what have you. We've been going around the country, as I said speaking to a whole range uh, of people. But the Australian public will need to make some effort here. But, you know, this is once-in-a-lifetime uh, opportunity here to really reflect It's going on the, on the nation and who we are. You know, it's going to take a degree of sophistication and maturity, uh, but I think, you know, there's, I think we can do this this time. Uh, let, let's, let's give it a go anyhow and, uh, and do it mindfully and, and, and with respect and think about who we are today and who we want to be in the future. Thank you very much for speaking with us. Um, It's a real privilege for our listeners to hear directly from you um, about uh, this, to say important is is a complete understatement, Um, this essential uh, call for action. So, yeah, thanks very much. And if you do want to support this and we would urge you to from 3CR, uh, please hop on to the um, website. It's Uluru, U-L-U-R-U, statement, all one word, dot org, forward slash, take action, forward slash, write to your MP. And there you can submit a letter to your local MP urging their support for the statement 
uh, the Uluru Statement from the Heart and a First Nations voice to Parliament protected by the Constitution. And there are different options there, but it's very clear, it's very easy, and uh, it's very important. So uh, thank you, Pat Anderson. No, thank you, Claudia. That was great. That was Pat Anderson, AO, co-chair of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, calling for the Australian people to back the Uluru Statement for a referendum to establish a permanent First Nations voice in the Constitution. And I'll just repeat the uh, general website there. It's ulurustatement.org forward slash our story. Uh, you can go to the education tab, as I mentioned, for information um, about what the statement is and to ask any questions. Uh, they've got lots of Q&A um, supplied there. And now we're going to go to a track from Emily Wuramara. This is Nara Kujanama. Listen to Rock and Roots, 2am till 6, every Sunday morning on 8.55am. Melbourne's Community Radio, 3CR.
gonna get my rockin' shoes I'm gonna rock away all my blues We're rockin', we're rockin', we're rockin' Rockin' this joint tonight Going down to the corner, see what it's all about Gonna rock and roll, gonna jump and chow We're rockin' Words out. Freedom of species has hit the airwaves. Tune in for debates and updates on both local and international animal protection news and events, and learn about how you can live a cruelty-free, sustainable lifestyle. Animales News, views and non-leather shoes. That's Freedom of Species, 1pm Sundays on 3CR. Authorised by the last few remaining kangaroos, Canberra. listening to 3CR and before the break we heard Emily Wormara. Now over to you Claudia. Thanks Ella. Moving from the rights of Indigenous people in Australia to those living abroad. A note to listeners, this segment may contain descriptions of abuse and trauma which may be distressing. If you feel this might not be your cup of tea right now you may wish to tune out for the next 15 minutes. The Uyghur people are the original inhabitants of East Turkestan, a region in the heart of Central Asia boasting deserts, magnificent mountains, lakes and forests. Located along the Silk Road, Uyghurs played an important role in cultural exchanges between the East and West and developed a unique culture in which art, music and literature flourished and traditional folk heritage and other religious influences blended with Islamic beliefs. In 1949, China annexed the region, naming it Xinjiang, and since then, the Uyghurs, Kazakhs and other Turkic people have struggled for cultural survival. In 2016, a policy of ethnic cleansing was introduced to break the indigenous lineage, roots and connections of the people. 16,000 mosques have been destroyed and graveyards bulldozed. The use of Uyghur language is banned and cultural practices such as wearing veils and beards, praying and the study of Muslim faith punished. Population growth is tightly controlled through measures such as forced sterilizations, immigration of Han Chinese and the removal of children from their families into state care. Between 2015 and 2018, natural population growth of Uyghurs in Xinjiang declined by 73%. Those remaining are subject to constant surveillance and arbitrary detainment in prison camps where indoctrination and torture are practised. Others are moved to factories around the country where they are engaged in forced labour, making clothing and goods for global consumption. This is what modern slavery looks like in the 21st century. The rationale given by the Chinese state is that Uyghurs, because of their distinct and separate sense of ethnic identity and culture, pose an existential threat to social stability and national security. 
an independent panel of international human rights experts last year called it genocide. This morning, we welcome President of the Australian Huiga Chanratuk Women's Association, Ramila Chanashev, to talk with us about her personal experience as a member of the Huiga diaspora in Australia. Ramila is an Australian Huiga who was born in East Turkestan and came to Australia in the 1970s with her parents. She has two cousins back home with whom she has little contact and she is very worried for their safety. Good morning, Ramila. Good morning, Claudia. Thank you for joining us on 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. Thank you very much for having me. Can you tell us what situation your family is in back in East Turkestan and why you are worried about them? The situation is so dire and there's genocide being committed. You know, there's been um, US, UK, Canada and a few other countries that have determined genocide. Australia hasn't said it, so uh, it is but um, Australian government has determined that there is grave human rights abuses over there. We have no communication with our cousins at the moment, as you mentioned earlier, but every Uyghur that lives in South Australia, Australia-wide and and in the diaspora, have got a close family member and or friends or relatives that have disappeared, that have been sent to concentration camps or sentenced arbitrarily for merely being Uyghur and or taken to uh, labour camps where they work at minimal wage, if there is any wage, um, for global brand products. Over 82 products have been named under this. So this is um, the current situation and the fact that there is a huge iron wall that the Chinese Communist regime puts up, whether it's um, digital you know, access to our friends and family, whether with the phone, or journalistic access is completely controlled, state controlled. So, rest of the world is very uh, has very little knowledge. But since 2016, we're so um, which we've been crying for decades. But we're so happy in the sense that our message and the serious situation is being researched and being talked about in the international forum. But still, needs more needs to be done. We'll come to those actions uh, in a minute, but I just wanted to ask you to share a little bit about Huiga culture. You came to Australia when you were seven or eight years old. Can you tell us what memories you had of your homeland in East Turkestan and some of the aspects of your culture that are special for you? Yes, certainly. So um, the region is the Turkic region, meaning that everyone in the Central Asia share the same culture, heritage, language and religion. So you have East Turkestan and then you have um, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, the former USSR countries. We are all the one and the same people, except our uh, language dialect is slightly different. We have such a rich history and culture that we we try to keep alive especially in these tough times. You know, my memory is that I spent a lot of time with my um, cousins, with my aunties, extended family. We're a very um, happy-go-lucky kind of people. We're very hospitable. Um, We love dancing and singing and learning and being together. It's very family and community-orientated region and people. Um, 
I've been back a few times since I've arrived in Australia um, with my family to visit my um, homeland and relatives. So I do have very fond memories. But since 2016, my parents have also not been able to go back. And that goes for every other Uyghur to go visit their homeland and visit their families. Um, Our future generations, the younger generations who are born here, cannot even go back and learn about their um, heritage, you know, where their parents come from or the language that they speak at home or the history that they have because everything is being systematically erased and um, made disappeared in this current time. I wonder if you can share a little bit about the diaspora experience. You've, you've talked about um, the difficulty for young people growing up in Australia to learn about their their heritage. Um, but I wonder if you can also talk about the emotional um, worry and, and, and fear that people here have for their family members. You mentioned to me yesterday that you don't know whether your cousins are dead or alive or imprisoned. Are you able to share what it feels like to live with that kind of fear? Absolutely. Um the trauma and the anxiety that the Uyghur people live with is is extreme. You know, since 2016, most of the Uyghurs that live in the diaspora have lost all forms of communication. And for those who have been able to get in touch with some members, the talk is very superficial. You know, it's, how are you? And they'll be saying, oh, we live in a fantastic place we're doing really well and the reason being is because they know their phones are being uh, tapped Um, every conversation they have is monitored so they have to be careful what they say and we also have to be careful what we ask and not dig too deep because otherwise their safety is at stake so living like this um, in in a beautiful country like Australia in a free country we just you know for us we might be able to comprehend to a certain extent, what they're going through, but then we get on with our lives. But then Australians will, you know, majority of Australians will not understand how it is to know that your cousin that you've heard three years ago on the phone telling you a phone message, look, don't forget me, please don't forget me. And that was the last message I've heard from him. You know, I don't know where he is. I don't know, as you mentioned, dead or alive or in a concentration camp or being sentenced um, for ridiculous amount of years. Um, they get sentenced to on trumped up charges saying they're terrorists, they're, um, you know, extremists, uh, religious. These are all trumped up charges. They have no access to lawyers. They have no access to um, connection with family or no support. Whatever the government says, that's what sticks and they'll be gone. And once they're taken into prisons, you will not be, you will not be able to have contact with them at all. So the, imagine every Uyghur, we have about 5,000 in Australia, every Uyghur member that lives here, or Turkic or Kazakh or whatever that comes from East Turkestan, has got family members that they have no connections with or they don't know whereabouts they are or if they're for their well-being. So we live in constant fear. We live in constant search of information every day, listening to all kinds of, um, you know, independent journalists, coming out or even researchers that come out, okay, this is what's happened. And they do this with grave, grave um, 
you know, trying to get message out there with the grave brevity. I think they're very brave and courage to get the message out. And also, I can see in the community that especially the women, men as well, but especially the women are going through, they're tra- traumatized. You know, that's that's why we were established. We established to ensure that they have connections with um, counsellors or psychologists or any other form of service providers that can give them some sort of support. So when was the Australian Huiga Tanrituk Women's Association established? We, the organisation has been running at grassroots levels um, for over 12 years. Uh, and in early 2020, we registered as an NGO as, um, to support the Uyghur women in South Australia and Australia. Um, but given that we are Uyghur and given the situation, we had no choice but to also be activists and be the voices for the women, for the millions of women and the children that's suffering under the uh, Chinese communist regime. So since then, we have... Um, try to get our voices out there. We have been trying to educate the wider Australian community. We have been working closely with politicians to make sure that the government is talking about it, to make sure that the government can do and act um, to ensure that nationally and internationally we hold the Chinese government to account to the atrocities that they're committing. Can you tell us about the bill uh, that has passed through the Senate? Yeah, this is anti-slavery bill. So we've been working on this for the past um, two, two, three years with uh, Senator Rex Patrick. And um, when, when we put it through uh, the Senate inquiry, the recommendation came back and said, OK, not just for the, let's not keep the um, banning of the products made by Uyghur labor uh, entering into Australia. Let's expand this and to ensure that any product that's made in any jurisdiction across the world made by slave labour is forbidden to enter Australia. So um, Senator Rex Patrick um, has had it passed through Senate last year, but unfortunately it got stopped in uh, lower house. The government didn't support it and um, it's still sitting there. So we don't want that to die. We hope, as it is not just about the Uyghur forced labour, it is about forced labour across the world. And I think this is where most of our heart is as well. So we we would like to see this supported by the government. And, and how can our listeners show their support or get involved? Yeah. Um, so with the elections coming up, uh, I think this is the best time to get in touch with your parliament member, your local parliament mem- member, the state and also the federal, to say that, you know, this bill is sitting there. It's been supported in Senate. It's passed Senate. Let us get it through lower house, get it through the government and ensure that this bill is passed, is enacted and is also, um, you know, everybody is supportive of it. Now, this bill that needs to be passed is, it comes at a good time in a, in a sense. We, we hoped it passed last year. But now with the elections, we can hold our politicians to account because they're looking for votes. They're listening to their um, constituents, you know. So we need to get out there and say, we need you to support this and we will support you. So this is the best time, I think. Thank you, Ramila. We're going to have to wrap up now, but um, we really appreciate you talking with our listeners and sharing 
your personal uh, story and enlightening us about the horrific situation um, back Thank in East Turkestan. Thank you very much. That was Ramila Chanishev, President of the Australian Huyga Tanrituk Women's Association, speaking about her experience growing up in Australia as a Muslim Huyga woman and the situation in the Chinese-run province of East Turkestan. And if you do want to get in touch with the association, they're on Instagram at AUTWA2020 and Facebook at Huyga Women. That's U-Y-G-H-U-R Women, capital A, capital U. And uh, please get on board and write to your MP to protect these people. Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.